I noticed that I won't have to draw from the baptistry for water. We have a fairly good provision here. <laughs> good evening to all. <clears throat> I have requested a translator for tonight. I've been refused. So you will have to suffer my extraterrestrial language for the next 40 minutes. But since I have a parcel of heart, I will be compassionate. I will keep it short. <laughs> Who dared? <laughs> One of the reasons why our ARPCA General Assembly is so exciting, one of the reasons why it is so exciting, is because we come together. Because we come to have this time of fellowship together, of communion with one another. And why is it so good to be together? Because, of course, we are social people. May I say Gregorian people? Gregorian people. No? Gregarious people, okay. But you know, to be Gregorian, it's even better than being Gregarious. So my purpose tonight is to teach you English as well, to extend your vocabulary and grammar. <clears throat> to be in God's image, among other things, means to be with. God is someone with. God is a God in communion. God is, the, is the, uh, in fellowship within himself with the Trinity. So we have been created to be in relationship as well, to be in communion with one another. And we have a good expression, of course, of this reality in Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Far too often, we take our relationship, we take our communion with one another for granted. We can, of course, realize that in our own marriage. How often we take our wives as granted. How often we don't appreciate our mate as we should. It's the same with our friends. It's the same uh, in the relationship within the church as well. But when for a reason or another, these relationships are broken, when we have to part ways with these people who are so dear to us, then, then we realize how much this communion was precious, what it really meant to us. But as precious as our earthly communion may be, the most precious of all, beyond any shadow of a doubt, is our communion with the Son. And we are indeed in communion with Him. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. First John, first chapter, verse 3. That we have seen and heard... We declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly 
our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are in fellowship with Christ. Our communion with Christ is not something theoretical. It's not a kind of metaphorical expression. It's not a form of rhetoric, but it is a reality. We are in communion indeed with the person. In the Greek New Testament, we have two groups of words to express uh, that word that convey the idea of communion. The first group of words is metokos. The word describes an association of people in business as their participation is legally established and they all share in profit and loss. We have a good example of that in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, where we read, And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners. The word that is translated by partner really means those who are in fellowship with them. They signal to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. We find a similar expression in 1 Corinthians 10.17. For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake. It's the word of the same group. We are all in communion, in fellowship of, that, of one bread. The other word for fellowship, for communion is very likely more familiar to each one of us, and this is the word koinonia. Koinonia, which conveys the idea of much more intimacy. It even can describe the relationship between uh, a husband and wife. It goes without saying that the nearer we see our relationship to be to anyone, the stronger we feel our affection. We feel, of course, Strange with stranger. But we are closer to cousins, closer still to brothers and sisters, and closest of all to husband and wife. This is the most tender, sweet, and intimate of our relationship. And this is the kind of relationship that our Lord is having with His church, according to Ephesians 5.30. For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. I like the way Morris Roberts puts it in his book, Union and Communion with Christ. He writes, The church, then, is the new Eve who is given to the second Adam to be his helpmeet. In the relationship of mutual delight in that period of history which will begin after time itself has ceased to exist. The relationship then in which Christian believers stand with Jesus Christ is the closest of all relationships, both in this life and in the life to come. Believers have union and communion with Christ, both in grace and in glory. End quote. In the word communion, of course, we all know that we have the word union. Come union being in union with. And of course, it brings to mind all the, all the places, all the occurrences we have in the New Testament of this very important and central expression in Christ and in Him. We have to uh, think, for instance, to the first chapter of Ephesians, 
that we have everything because we are in union, in communion with Him. So the subject of our communion with Christ is immensely rich. Tonight, we will limit ourselves to a kind of introduction, very partial overview. I would like to start with one verse in Revelation that is familiar to all of us. Revelation 3.20, where we read, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. In the Bible, we find at least two more illustrations of this knocking at the door. In the Song of Songs, chapter 5, verse 2, we read, I sleep, but my heart is awake. It is the voice of my beloved. He knocks, saying, open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. And then in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 36 and 37, and yourselves... Be like men waiting for their master when he will return from the wedding that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. I would like to try to draw some instruction from the different metaphors we find in this business of knocking at the door. Revelation 3.20 Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Of course, a door speaks about separation. When we are not on the same side of the door, we are separated. When we shut the door, it means that we are no longer in communion with those who stand on the other side of the door. If someone comes to your house... Knock at your door, you open it, and then you enter in fellowship with this person. This is this very idea that is conveyed here. In order to enter in communion, in fellowship with Christ, with the Son, a door must be open. And certainly, the door that prevents us to be in fellowship with Christ is this door that Isaiah is mentioning in his 59th chapter, verse 2, our iniquities have separated us from our God. Here in this context of Revelation 3, it is referring to lukewarmness, to negligence, to loss of first love, and also it is about false professions of faith. What is most interesting to note here is that it is Christ who takes the initiative of coming and knocking to the door. In the business of communion, Christ is taking the initiative. Christ is doing the work. He is the one who knocks at the door. In any spiritual matter, God is always the initiator. There is an interpretation, very poor interpretation of this verse by some people, who strictly apply it to salvation. So they picture a Jesus standing at the door, very depressed, on the verge of desperation, begging for people to open the door. And they usually add that the door's knob is inside, 
So you have a Jesus who is utterly powerless and is totally dependent upon people's goodwill. And he hoped that someone someday will open the door. <laughs> well, this depiction has nothing to do with the Jesus that the Bible reveals. The Lord, the Lord Jesus that is presented to us in the revelation is a majestic, a glorious Lord. It is not this kind of itinerant beggar standing at the door and waiting and hoping. I think that the main point in this verse is these words, are these words. If anyone hears his voice, he will open. For this is the voice of the good shepherd. The Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 26 to 30, goes like this. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. We can hear the voice of an evangelist. We can hear the voice of a preacher. We can hear the voice of someone who is bearing witness to us. But as long as we don't hear his voice, the door remains shut. We long as parents for our children's salvation. Children keep hearing our voice all the time. But as long as they don't hear through our voice, the voice of the good shepherd, there is no way they can have possible fellowship with him. It's interesting to notice that on the road of Damascus, Paul was with a big bunch of soldiers and people around him. We are reported that he hears or he heard the voice of Christ while other people heard noise. You see, when you have not been visited by the Holy Spirit, the gospel is just Noise. It's noisy. But when you have been visited by the Holy Ghost, then it becomes His voice. And then we open the door. So, in some sense, this is Christ who brings us, who causes us to open the door to His voice. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7. O Lord... You deceived me, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. He's a winner. He's not a beggar at the door. He's the winner. This being said, of course, we should not overlook the reality of our human responsibility. The quality of our communion, of our fellowship is dependent upon it. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice... And opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. Christ has provided everything that is needed for us to come into communion, into fellowship with us. He took the initiative. He came at the door. He knocked at the door. He made his voice heard to us. 
and we heard his voice resonate in the innermost of being, and we consequently, we open the door and we enter into fellowship with him. What a privilege. Nobody in history ever took the initiative to say, well, I will go to the Lord and knock at his door just to see if he would open to me. Nobody would do that. Nobody is looking for him. He is the one who took the initiative. He is the one who came, who came to us, who passed, who, who crossed uh, the, the distance separating heaven from earth to come and, and meet with us. The second metaphor is the metaphor of the supper. Of course, the supper is the image of a very close communion in the Bible. Even in our time, this is the same. Table is the place par excellence. Is it English? Par excellence, perhaps? Okay. But it's much nicer par excellence. <clears throat> so, table is the place par excellence for communion in the New Testament. We see Jesus in the course of his ministry providing his most profound teaching, having his most intimate communion with his disciples around the table. For example, when we think about chapter 13 to 17 of the Gospel of John, we see the Lord literally spreading out his heart in front of his disciples in this moment of intimate fellowship around the table. We can also think of a contemporary image of supper. I don't know about you, but I heard that Americans don't only eat hamburger. Sometimes they go for something more elaborate. My wife and I... <clears throat> thank God for hamburgers, but you know, you know. My wife and I, we have the good habit the blessed habit, to have a supper. A real one, once a week. Whether on Friday or whether on Saturday, depending if we have people over. When we don't have people over, we have supper. When we have people over, we have quick lunch. <laughs> so when we have supper, you know, we don't save any, we're ready to make all expenses to make sure that it will be a success. Flowers, candles, we even light them up. <laughs> I don't know how you said that in English, but une ambiance feutrée. Okay, relax atmosphere. And when God is so good to make a special contribution, we even have the moonlight. And usually, we make sure that we will water it with a good red wine. Hallelujah. <laughs> In those specific moments, beloved, everything is at the service of our communion, of the communion we enjoy. Nothing around is important anymore but being together. Sharing together. Trying to come closer and closer together. And knowing how to appreciate one another. And to tell how we appreciate one another more and more. You know, this kind of supper 
is very different than having lunch in front of the TV set. The word used for to dine or supper here refers to the main meal of the day. When we take time to do things, it's not a quick bite or it's not tea and biscuit. It is elaborate. It is rich. It is abundant. It is scrumptious, delicious. And this is the kind of, this is the image of the communion that our beloved Lord Jesus Christ has provided for us. This is what He has provided for us. A rich communion, a communion of abundance, a, a communion of overwhelming wealth, sharing with Him, receiving His comfort, His strength, His vision, and Increasing in our mutual love. What is this communion all about? Or the essence of this communion? Of course, we just need to think of all the privileges that are ours as we partake in Christ's glory for being in Him. Think of all the comfort in every circumstance of our life. Think of the privilege of addressing our petitions to Him, of unloading, unloading our burdens on Him. Think about this experience of mutual love, as we have read in Revelation 3.20 and Song of Songs, chapter 5, verse 2. This unconditional love that Christ is pouring upon us so abundantly and so faithfully. And then, since this communion, since this fellowship is so precious, we are exhorted to take care of it, to watch over it. And this is where the chapter 12 of the Gospel of Luke come in. And yourselves be like men waiting for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. This verse, of course, appears in the context of the parousia, in the context of the return of the Lord. Here, we are exhorted to perseverance, to make our uttermost in the sphere of our human responsibility to feed this communion by all the means of grace. And in terms of means of grace, of course, this very communion itself with the Son is the most foundational. We are indeed in communion with the one in whom all the promises of God are yes and amen. Here is one of the best expressions of the benefits of our communion with Christ and how it works. I would invite you to turn with me in the epistle uh, to the Hebrews. Chapter 4, we'd like to read verses 14 to 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have here a sort of logistic, if I can use the word, how this communion with Christ, with the Son, works. Of course, we just, uh, sorry, the Hebrews readers were in a period of crisis concerning their faith and their obedience. And here, they receive certainly a great encouragement. In our daily life, I would say in the humdrum of our daily life, it's so easy to forget or to start neglecting the amazing privileges that are ours in Christ. And here we have a reminder of the greatest importance. So let's look at two major elements that we find in these verses. I will pass more time, uh, a longer time on the second one, but I would like to see the first one uh, shortly, briefly. First of all, Christ's supremacy and then Christ's sympathy. Christ's supremacy. We read in these verses that he has passed through heavens. Not only to the veil that used to separate the holy place from the holy of holies, but he passed through heavens. He is not only a high priest. We read that he is a great high priest. He is a high high priest. He is the highest high priest. He is the son of God. He is supreme. He is the highest. He is highest as possible. And then in verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. It's a very interesting word, the word sympathize. I would like to connect this, this verse to chapter 2 of the same epistle, verse 14, where we read, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. And then verse 16, For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. You see, he didn't take the nature of angels, but the nature of Abraham's posterity. He put so much value on Abraham's posterity, more than anything else in creation. Believers are God's garden and the rest of the world is a desert. Believers represent his inheritance, the rest of the world is enemies. His consideration is for his people. The weakest, the poorest, the most insignificant believer has more value in God's eyes than all the world around. He is not remote from us. We are in communion with someone who is like us. He is not remote from us. He is not remote from our life's experiences. Christ in his incarnation, as a body, a mind, emotions, etc. Though he was sinless, he has the weakness inherent to human nature. He walked like a baby before walking like a man. He thought 
like a baby before thinking like a man. He talked like a baby before talking like a man. His body, in other words, his instrument was the same as ours. He has been tempted in all points like us. We don't mean, of course, that he has experienced each and every temptation specifically. For instance, temptation specific to women or to elderly people or to married people. But our high priest experience of temptation corresponds in every respect to ours. He has been exposed to all the spheres, all the categories of temptations, and this is why he can sympathize with us. Sympathéo. That has given in French, patir avec. To suffer with. Sympathio. To suffer with. I am utterly ignorant in music. Well, I am utterly ignorant, period. But even more in music. <clears throat> but my son studied in musical education. A few months ago, he talked to me. He wanted to impress me. And he succeeded. <clears throat> he talked to me about the sympathetic resonance. didn't have a clue on what he was talking about. But I am a dad. And a father must know more than his son. <laughs> so I rushed to my computer, find Google and... Google! Google! There is no forgiveness for mocking other people. <clears throat> find Google and type... Sympathetic resonance. And here is what I found. Ready? If you take notes, don't miss a word. Sympathetic resonance in music. The physical phenomenon whereby one vibrating object, such as a string or a bell, can induce another that is initially unmoving to vibrate also without any physical contact. For example, strings that are related to others within a harmonic series are subject to sympathetic resonance. A string will cause another, such as one that is an octave, octave, octave higher, to vibrate by sympathetic resonance because the latter is, the latter is an overtone of the former, meaning its frequency is in harmonic ratio with that of the principal string. Brethren, it's been a life-changing experience. <laughs> I have never been so much aware of my ignorance because I didn't get a word from what it meant. To put it simply, when you walk in a room where you have two pianos, you strike a note on the first one and the very same note will gently respond on the other. This is what it is. Though not touched by another hand. And you see, this is the point. Christ's body, Christ's instrument, was just like ours in every way. And he took it to heaven with him. It is his priestly body. 
And as someone wrote, when a chord is struck in the weakness of our human instrument, it resonates in his. There is no note of our human experience that does not play on Christ's exalted human instrument. This is what we mean by sympathizing. He can sympathize with us. So we can understand the great encouragement in this light of verse 16. Since this is the fact, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The word that is translated by in time of need literally means seasonable help. Help in for each season. And you know, I know, everybody knows that we pass through many seasons in our life. There is an appropriate, a specific help for each and every one of these seasons. Because our high priest resonates. His sympathy is for us. Let me make some short application. In the context of Revelation 3.20, we are invited to renew our communion with Christ, with the Son. In Luke chapter 12, verses 36 and 37, we are invited to be watchful, to be vigilant in not neglecting this precious communion. In Hebrew 4, Verses 14 to 16, we are invited to perseverance and to take advantage of all these benefits, all the benefits of this communion in all seasons. We don't have the same needs in summer than we have in wintertime. Different seasons, different forms of needs, of help. There are many seasons in the life of a believer. And we are so much in need of help. The first need, of course, for everybody is to come into communion with Christ. This need to experience the season of salvation. And then come many other seasons. Seasons of affliction. We live in a world that is falling apart. We live in a world where we have so much reason to be afflicted. Where affliction finds so many avenues to reach us and to come to us. We have a sympathetic great high priest. Whose instrument resonates with ours. In the seasons of persecution. When we are ridiculed. When we are treated as if we were nothing. When people mock us, reject us. We have a high priest who resonates. Whose instrument resonates with ours. And who is providing us the exact help that is needed for this season of persecution. In the season of temptation. When temptation is all around. When temptation is so aggressive. That we 
said, well, I won't make it. We still have the benefit of this need. Perfectly adequate for the season of temptation. In the season of fall, when we fall and we desperate of ourselves. When we feel that we blew up again. And we are so ashamed in front of God and we lose all kind of confidence in prayer. We still have this very appropriate help. This seasonable help coming from our high priest. Who is sympathetic. Whose instrument resonates with ours. In the season of spiritual desertion. When we drift away. When we felt that we took such a distance from our beloved God. And when we want to come back. When he makes us realize that we need to do something. He is providing not only consciousness. But also appropriate help. For this season. In the season where task. When we feel overloaded by task. That we believe that we won't make it either. Then again. In this season. Our precious God is there. In the season of change. Change. Is always carrying along with it. Uncertainty. In the season of change and uncertainty. In our life. We have also. This appropriate help. This seasonable help. This help tailor-made for the situation we are in. In the season of discouragement. It comes once in a while, right? Season of discouragement. One or two things may be discouraging in this world. Not only in the world, but sometimes in our own house, in our own environment, when we are tempted to be discouraged. When we feel that our courage is just falling apart, reduced to dust. Once more, in this cold, dry season, we have a seasonable help from our high priest. With whom we are in close fellowship. Why? Because he he came. He knocked at our door. He made his voice heard. So that we opened the door. He came in. And we are in intimate relationship with him. And we are profiting. From who he is. All his might. All his grace. In season of sickness. You know. Suffering. It's quite a trial. When we are bodily suffering, physically suffering, we are, we, we are a, a whole person. Eh? It is affecting the rest of our person as well. In season of sickness, when we feel that our strength is about to leave us, even our spiritual strength is about to abandon us, once more, we have this help coming from our sympathetic high priest. And then, the season of death. When time comes to pass from life to eternity. When we take our lunch bag 
and we cross the valley of the shadow of death. That is so horrible from a human point of view. That makes us so afraid. So good to have someone with whom we are in communion, in fellowship. Someone who is the Son of God. Who is the Almighty God. Who is sympathetic. Who is my high priest. With whom I am so much in communion that I am in Him. Whatever may be the season in our life tonight, brothers and sisters. Christ, the Son of God. Our great high priest, who has passed through the heavens, with whom we are in communion because he knocked at our door. And we have heard his voice and consequently opened the door. So that he came in to bring help, tailor-made help, seasonable help, full of grace and mercy. Let us remember that every single chord that is struck in our human instrument resonates in His. He is in tune with us. May I say, He chimes with us. Is it okay? Whew. My translators are doing a good job, you know. <laughs> And you know what amazes me? What will happen at the end? When Christ will return. And when he'll say to us, Well done, good and faithful servant. What will you answer? For myself, I think I won't be able to take it. Me? Good? Faithful servant? You're sure you talked to the right person? Sure you didn't make a mistake? Good and faithful person? Poor sinner that I am. And then, he will look at me with his eyes overflowing with love and tenderness. And he will have his voice again, this very same voice that I heard while I, still, I was still behind the door. This very same voice full of comfort. This irresistible voice who will say, Don't you know? Don't you know? I became for you wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Our precious treasure, 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 treasure. The greatest treasure we possess. The greatest treasure, the greatest wealth. We can even imagine, even beyond our imagination, is that we are in communion with the Son. Amen.
glorious message, brother.